Good evening. Thanks for joining us once again for Hope Awakens. If this is your first program, glad to have you with us. And I'm sure you want to catch up on our 11 previous programs by going to our website, hopeawakens.com.au. We're in for a great time again tonight as John Bradshaw talks about experiencing renewal. But before we go to John, let's have some questions. Great to have you with us again, Robbie. What questions do we have for tonight? Hi, Rebecca. Wow, I really enjoyed John's program last night, A New Normal, A World Without Fear. It was amazing. If any of you missed that program, be sure to go to our website, hopeawakens.com.au and look for the catch-up area and find program 11. You're not going to want to miss it. Well, we have some really good questions once again here tonight, Rebecca. Question number one. What assurance do we have that we will recognize our loved ones in the new world? A good question. Firstly, remember the disciples, they recognized Jesus in his resurrected body. So there has to be some similarities. And also we can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So we will be known in the new world, be sure of that. Our second question is, the the other night John said only God has immortality and that there is no such thing as an immortal soul. However, I was taught that we have an immortal soul. Will we ever be immortal? Excellent question once again. The answer is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? So if we are in Jesus, we become immortal at his return, which is when we put on immortality. If we put it on at his return, then it means that we don't have it until his return. I really hope that helps. Well, that's all the questions we have for tonight, Rebecca. Back to you. Thanks, Robbie. I'm sure our viewers are really appreciating the answers you and Gary give straight from the Bible to answer their questions about each program. Well, let's join John Bradshaw now as he talks tonight about experiencing renewal. The Indian Pacific Wheel Race. What a bike race that is. Bicycle riders ride from the Indian Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. They start in Perth and Western Australia and ride all the way across the continent of Australia to Sydney. Five and a half thousand kilometers, almost three and a half thousand miles. That's 20 miles longer than if you were to ride from Los Angeles, California to Anchorage, Alaska. It's a pretty good ride. In 2017, Juliana Buring, a European cyclist, lined up in a field of 70 riders, which included eight women, and set out from Perth. 
This was no stranger to endurance riding. She was the first woman to set the record or a record for circumnavigating the globe by bike. 144 days of riding. And so she set off from Perth with the others. She made it 20% of the way through the ride, one-fifth of the race, where she developed a severe allergic reaction to a medication she was taking. Her hands and her feet and her head all swelled up. She had a fever. She was having difficulty breathing. She had no option but to pull out of the race. She got a ride back to Perth and then recovered so quickly that she started the race again. She re-rode those first 715 miles, which included Australia's longest stretch of straight road, 90 miles without a single bend. After pulling out of the race, Ms. Buring started over again. She started again, and quite amazingly, when she arrived on the steps of the Sydney Opera House, she had passed many of the other riders along the way, riders to whom she had given a 715-mile-plus head start. It's good to be able to start again. The history of the United States, as we know it, owes a lot to starting over. The Mayflower, that ship that famously brought this nation's original immigrants to what's now Massachusetts back in the year 1620, left England on August the 5th, accompanied by another ship, the Speedwell. But not long into the voyage, the Speedwell began to leak and take on water. Not good, so both ships turned back. After a restart, the two vessels made it more than 200 miles beyond Land's End at the southwestern tip of Britain. When the Speedwell began leaking again, both ships went back again. This time, some of the Speedwell's passengers returned to Holland while others got on the Mayflower. Then they headed back out into the Atlantic, a month or more behind schedule with depleted supplies. But we know how it turned out. The Mayflower made it to Plymouth Rock or somewhere near there, and the birth of the United States as we know it today had taken place. How many times have you been grateful for a new start or, or wanted one? I wonder if you remember when Amazon started out. It was a bookstore. It kind of stumbled along, but then redirected its energies, reloaded, and became not only the world's biggest bookstore, but the planet's biggest retailer. One New York Times best-selling author described how she recently wrote an entire book, hundreds of pages, and then she felt as though it didn't hit the mark. She said, the book just didn't seem to work. I didn't like it. So she started all over again and wrote an entirely new book, which found its way on the way up the bestseller lists. Sometimes you don't get to start over. You finish your English exam, you hand it in, and that's that. There's no going back. The cake comes out of the oven, and you cannot rebake it. The kicker missed the goal, but can't ask for another try. The sculptor who chips away a piece of granite and doesn't like what he or she sees can't glue the granite chips back on and try again. There are times that a new start is good. Sometimes it's not possible, like when the surgeon in Tampa, Florida, amputated a man's leg and unfortunately got the wrong leg. Not much you can do about that. Once it's done, it's done. Right now, a lot of people are trying to figure out how they are going to start over. Many have lost jobs. Many who haven't lost jobs have lost significant amount of income. The rebuilding process isn't going to be easy. Some lost jobs will take a while to come back. Some industries will take a while to recover. There's certainly going to be some people for whom it'll take 
a good long while before they're able to feel safe getting back to life as it was before. If it was possible to press the reset button, there's no shortage of people who'd like to turn the clock back and start again from two or three months ago. But alas, we cannot. Here we are. Psychologists will tell you it's important to press the reset button from time to time so that you can reset your brain and change the way you react or act in certain situations. They'll suggest things like walking away from a situation, that you sleep on an issue before you react to it, that you write down your thoughts so you can see more clearly what's really going on in your mind. But I want to go a step further here because a lot of people have upset others hurt themselves, embarrassed themselves, caused real problems, messed up their lives, or they've done something that harms their relationship with God and they oh, they wonder how they can go forward. I've had people tell me, John, I've gone too far, or, or God could never forgive me for what I've done. Well, I want to tell you, you, you're probably right. You may have gone too far, but even if you have, you can start again in your spiritual life. It's never too late to turn things around if you want to turn things around. Here's what we know. We know that the Bible says that God is love. So that's settled. The Bible says that God is willing to give people a new start. Failure is brutal. No one likes to fail. And when you failed spiritually, you wonder what God would do with a spiritual failure. Well, I'll tell you. Don't wonder. I'll tell you. James and John were known in the Bible as the sons of thunder, not because of their placid demeanor. There was a time they got offended and asked Jesus if they should call fire down from heaven and burn up the people that got their nose out of joint. I wonder if Jesus sometimes wasn't a little concerned about leaving the future of the church in the hands of people like that. A man who wrote 14 books of the New Testament was essentially a murderer complicit in the death of many Christians. He was a bad enough person that when he became a believer in Jesus, the apostles didn't believe it possible. Acts 9.26 says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. From there to writing more than a dozen books of the Bible. Remarkable. You see, that's what God does with spiritual failures. King Manasseh, a beast of a human being, sacrificed his own children to the devil. But late in his life, he had a turnaround and God made him a new man. King David, called by God, a man after God's own heart, killed a giant with a sling and a stone while still a boy. But then deception and lust and adultery and murder and more. And yet we know from our reading of the Bible, we'll see David in heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, thoroughly heathen, and yet God reached his heart in the days of Daniel. And that's another man we'll see in heaven, perhaps one of the unlikeliest people that you will meet there. The truth of the matter is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet Revelation speaks of those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's a most amazing thing. God refers to these sinners as saints. Revelation 15, 2, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, his image, his mark, and the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It wasn't long 
Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit that they should not have eaten. So look at God's response to what your original grandparents did back there. Genesis 3.15, God says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. He said to the devil, Devil, you'll bruise the Messiah's heel, but he will bruise your head. You may win a battle, but you won't win win the war. That was God's promise to a rebel race that salvation was possible. Even after disastrous fall into sin, keep in mind, human beings would have access to everlasting life because Jesus would come and die for them. So, and I really want you to see this, Adam and Eve sinned, guaranteeing that Jesus, the Son of God, would die on a cross. And God responds by saying, I'm giving people the gift of repentance and I'm guaranteeing Satan won't win and that people who want to be will be saved forever. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ultimately, God's people will say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is your victory? The message of the Bible is a message of redemption. It's a message of a new start. Where do you find a new start? When you want to start all over again, what do you do? When your credit's been messed up, that follows you around for years to come. You break the law, you do time in prison. Society may tell you you've done your time, but that sentence follows you around. It's hard to get that monkey off your back. Lose a job. People will wonder what you did wrong. Get a divorce. And there are people who will look at you sideways no matter what the circumstances truly were. But there is a God in heaven who's the God of a new start, the God of a second chance or a third chance or a a one thousandth chance, however many chances you need. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, one challenge we have as human beings, we're conditioned to believe that nothing's really free. Well, Salvation is. Now, that is, it's free to you and me. It costs God plenty, more than we can adequately say. But God bore the burden and offers us the blessing of it all. You get to the last book of the Bible. It begins by saying, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And a few verses later, it says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God loved us. God washed us, it says. God will elevate us higher than we could ever have dreamed. In the final chapter of the Bible, we see this. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into that city. I wonder... Can you imagine that in your life, in your experience? This is what God does in the lives of people needing to experience renewal. God would change a heart and change a life. This is the thread that runs all the way through the Bible. Look in the New Testament. A woman caught in sin is forgiven by Jesus and told that he doesn't condemn her. All around her were were people ready to see her suffer under the full weight of the law of the time. But Jesus doesn't condemn her. 
another woman is getting water in the heat of the day. Now, typically, people would get water morning or evening when it's cooler. It's evident that she's wanting to avoid people, to avoid their whispering and their condemning gaze. She's an outcast. When Jesus reveals to her that he knows all about her colorful past, he offers her everlasting life. The famous story of the prodigal son sees a young man sees a young man leave the family farm and wander off into a wasteful existence where he brings real shame on the family. But the Spirit of God draws him back, calls him back, and he responds by making the long journey home. No longer the cocky, brash young man, but now a, a broken man, beaten down by loss and failure and rejection. I imagine he rehearsed his speech all the way home. And when he arrived, he told his father he is no longer worthy of being called his son, but instead should be treated as a servant. His father, keep in mind, the father has been deeply embarrassed, deeply insulted by this boy. His father doesn't even address the boy's mere culpa. The father instead addressed the servants, telling him quickly, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf here, kill it, let us eat and be merry. You find that in Luke 15. Why was the dad so deliriously happy? Because as he said, for this my son was dead and is alive, he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They began to celebrate. The father was overjoyed because his wandering child returned home. Shame? What was that in the light of the return of a child as though he were back from the dead? Wasted money? No, wait, don't talk to me about that. No time for worrying about that. A child has come home. The family's reputation. Oh, no, listen, ladies and gentlemen, my son is back. That's what we're talking about here. And that's how heaven feels when one of God's children responds to God's drawing and comes home. If you're a parent, you'd know how you would feel if your wandering child came home. That's how God feels. But even more so, even when things have gone bad, God welcomes us home. I'll show you what God did in the experience of one such individual. I mentioned him earlier. Saul wasn't a bad man as far as bad men went. He described himself as being very law-abiding, very strict, very dedicated to his religion. But he was off track, a persecutor of God's people. Aren't you glad God doesn't cut off people who don't have their act together? Instead of rejecting Saul, God appealed to Saul. And when Saul yielded to God's invitation, a man named Ananias spoke to Saul, who later became Paul and said to him, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Next verse. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. He then said, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. A new start. And that's not the first time something like that had been said. Jesus spoke directly to this in Matthew 28. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Why would God tell Saul to be baptized? Why would Jesus tell the disciples 
to make disciples of others and then baptize them. Well, let's go back to a discussion Jesus had one night with an important man, a man who came to Jesus by night so no one would see that it was this homeschooled rabbi he was talking to. Nicodemus had his reputation to think of, evidently. He came to Jesus and tried something that you might call righteousness by flattery. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, which seemed like a nice thing to say, except Jesus could see the state of the man's heart. And so he said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the man was flummoxed. What could this carpenter's son be talking about? And so Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Of course, that was an absurd question. But Jesus answered it with a straight answer. He got to the point. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Born of the spirit is conversion. That's the change that the Holy Spirit brings into a person's life when they come to faith. That's the radical remaking God does in someone's experience. God's word says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you see how God describes this? When you come to Jesus, God remakes you. You might have been a failure before, but now you're remade. You might have got things terribly wrong before, but now you're remade. This is what God does. Now, let me say this to you. Part of the problem we face is that we equate performance with acceptance with God. And I could see how we would do that. You come to Jesus, you ask him to take your heart, and you go right out and yell at your neighbor. And so you come to the conclusion that something went terribly wrong. You might also come to the mistaken conclusion that this proves you're not a real Christian and that Jesus didn't take your heart and that it was all a lie. And why should you waste all your time anyway, as all you are is a big hypocrite? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that maybe your failure might have nothing to do with you being a hypocrite and everything to do with something else. Do you remember that little Bible story where Jesus talks about the work of God in a person's life? He says it's like seed growing. He says it grows first the blade and then the ear and then the full corn in the ear. And he meant wheat and then the harvest. Your life as a believer in Jesus is a life of growth. I'm not making excuses for failure. I'm not saying it's okay to yell at your neighbor or your spouse or your kids or even your dog. What I am saying is that everything else in the world, whether it is a cat or an oak tree or a whale or a salamander, everything in the world grows. No child was born ice skating, born throwing free throws successfully. Growth takes time. If you put a seed in good soil and then give it water and sunlight, it's going to grow. It won't grow all at once. Corn is going to take 60, 70, maybe 90 days to grow. A couple of months for tomatoes, longer for tomatoes. Pine trees are going to take 25 to 30 years. That's just how it is. You can't microwave them to grow quickly. So come to Jesus in faith and grow. 
Keep your feet planted in the soil of the Bible. Water your soul with prayer. Turn towards God like a flower turns to face the sun. Keep looking to God and you'll grow. Again, don't be yelling at your neighbor. But if you falter, if you slip, if you fail, don't throw in the towel because God isn't done with you just because you made a mistake. God makes you new. This is what it is to be born of the Holy Spirit. It's conversion. It's being born again. That's born of the Spirit. Born of water, that's baptism, water baptism, a sign of having your sins washed away. In fact, it's like an enactment of the experience of salvation. In Romans 6, it says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Let's jump to verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Before you come to Jesus, you are the old you. This is something a lot of people just don't understand. When you come to faith in God, the old you dies. God creates a new you. Too many people don't have that experience. They come to Jesus as they are, and they stay as they are, and they think that's okay. But the old you dies. So what do you do with the dead you? The old you is buried in the water of baptism, and a new you comes out of that water to walk in newness of life, as Paul wrote. Baptism is a symbol of that old you dying being buried, and the new you being raised up from the dead to live a new life. It's hard to know why the subject of baptism gets confused. The Bible says clearly, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, Ephesians 4 and verse 5. Jesus' example couldn't have been more clear. Read it in Matthew 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, sorry, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus came up out of the water because he'd been in the water to be baptized by immersion. Maybe what's most important is that God was well pleased. In fact, John wrote that John the Baptist baptized at the River Jordan for the simple reason that there was much water there. Philip met a man from Ethiopia riding in a chariot. The story says in Acts chapter 8, Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him in a river because there needed to be enough water to baptize the man by immersion. And you need to see verse 39. 
Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Ah, that's important. There was rejoicing that took place. New life had been born through baptism. There was rejoicing that took place. The word baptize simply means to immerse. That's what the word means. So if it isn't immersion, it isn't baptism. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. What baptism does is it brings together two important things. There's the belief, which you do inwardly, and then the demonstration of that belief, the outward sign, baptism. I mean, you can say you love someone all you want, but the wedding ceremony is what makes that love official. It's your witness to the love that you are experiencing. Baptism essentially functions like a grave, a grave between the old life of sin and the new life of faith in Jesus. It's there that you experience renewal. You've experienced that by faith, but now your sins are washed away. You've been made new and clean. You're able to say what Paul said when he wrote to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you've wondered how it came to be that there are so many different kinds of baptisms around today, you're not alone. But it went like this, basically. You know, until about the 13th century, baptism was almost entirely by immersion. You can visit old cathedrals and see that they have baptistries where they used to baptize people by immersion. In churches where they gave up on Bible baptism years ago, they once baptized by immersion. If you visit the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you'll see that at the cathedral complex is a baptistry. People were baptized there by immersion at one stage. In the 14th century, sprinkling was accepted by the church as being just as valid as immersion. took a long time. For several centuries after the establishment of Christianity, baptism was usually conferred by immersion. But since the 12th century, the practice of baptizing by infusion has prevailed in the Catholic Church as this manner is attended with less inconvenience than baptism by immersion from a book called Faith of Our Fathers. So they changed because of inconvenience and due to the false teaching that a person is born with something called original sin, which Augustine said would lead to an unbaptized baby going to hell if he or she died without that original sin having been remitted by baptism. Rather than immerse a baby, it was thought to be just as valid to sprinkle a little water on the infant's head. Of course, that's not the least bit biblical. So what should a person do now? Considering baptism, what do you do if you want to be biblical about this? I can suggest three things. Number one, repent. That means to be sorry for and to turn away from your sins. Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Now, Believe, as Paul told the jailkeeper in Philippi, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. 
and then follow. Remember Matthew 28? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, Jesus said. Baptize people after they become disciples. A disciple is a follower. You choose to follow Jesus and you signify that in baptism. Now, this isn't something babies would participate in. Baptism follows a personal decision made by someone who could repent and believe and follow. As a baby, Jesus was dedicated. That's what's appropriate for babies. When a person is baptized, listen, this is God saying, I've given you a new start. You messed things up. You've embarrassed yourself. You've you've hurt heaven. Ah, but we can start again. I'll give you a new start. When a person is baptized, that person has the assurance that his or her sins are forgiven. You receive the Holy Spirit into your life. You become part of the family of God by adoption. This is a new beginning with God, like a marriage ceremony unites two people in baptism. Baptism unites a person with Jesus in his church. You come to Jesus. He takes your heart. Then the old you is buried and a new you is raised up to live a completely new life. There's a great story in the Old Testament about a man named Naaman. Naaman had leprosy. It was a terminal illness. He learned about the prophet in Israel. Someone said, that prophet could heal you. So he traveled to see the prophet. Oh, Naaman was angry, though. He was angry that the prophet didn't even come out to see him. But instead, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. This important man, a captain in the Syrian army, didn't much like the idea of washing in a muddy river. And the Jordan River isn't the Amazon by any means. Naaman figured, We got better rivers back home in Syria. But it seems that he was chagrined by the idea of doing something so simple. Naaman's servants said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he says you wash and be clean? You know, people still have that same challenge today. God says, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you can be saved. That's not enough for some people. You are saved by grace through faith. That's not enough for some people. It's too easy. You can have eternal life simply by accepting what I've done for you. No pilgrimages, no penance, no price to pay. Just believe and you can know I've given you a new heart and a new life. Too simple for some people. They want to make it harder. They want to work. They want to make it difficult. Instead of accepting the gift, Jesus has done the heavy lifting for you. He died on a cross. Naaman agreed he'd go down to the river. You know that leprosy is a symbol of sin. And just as Naaman's leprosy was washed away, you can have your sins washed away. Jesus asks you to enter the waters of baptism, to become a new believer, to receive forgiveness and cleansing. A simple thing. Naaman wanted to create a scene about it all. God just wanted to save him. Naaman might have gone home to Syria believing there was a better way. But Naaman wouldn't have been cleansed from his leprosy. God says, I will cleanse you. Easy. Just go into the water. Of course, there was nothing in a river that would heal a terminal illness. 
But that act of faith and following God's leading and doing what God asked, that was an act of saving faith. Can you exercise saving faith in Jesus now? He invites you to be baptized. The easiest thing ever. If you've not been baptized or if you've been baptized, but you feel like you should be baptized again, I want to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus by faith right now. I'd like you to make a decision. Wow, what an amazing topic this evening. How clear was that message on baptism? Who wouldn't want to get baptized? I remember when I was baptized, what a joy it was to link my life with Jesus. Now, in view of the importance of tonight's topic, John would like us to give you the opportunity to make a decision for Jesus tonight. Now, what we want to do is we want to get a decision card once again into your hands tonight. And we're going to do it once again using our mobile phones. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take out your phone and I want you to text tonight's code word ALIVE. If you're in Australia, text ALIVE to 0428-833-386. If you're in New Zealand, text ALIVE to 875. Again, if you're in Australia, text ALIVE to 0428-833-386. Or if you're in New Zealand, text ALIVE to 875. Now, what's going to happen when you text that number is we're going to send you a link. And when you get that link, you click on the link and it will take you to your decision card tonight on your phone. There's going to be some uh, questions there about how we can connect with you. But at the bottom of the card, you're going to find a number of questions, which I want to take you through right now. Question number one, I want to be truly committed to Jesus Christ. If that's your desire this evening, check number one. Number two, I want to be baptized the way the Bible teaches. If after hearing our topic tonight, you want to be baptized the way Jesus was baptized, then you check number two. And number three, I've been baptized but would like to be re-baptized. And number four, I want to prepare for baptism. Or number five, I have questions I would like to discuss. If you have any questions, you can write them in that little comment section there on the bottom of your form. Make sure your details are filled in and click submit and someone's going to get in touch with you. I want to pray for you right now as you're making these decisions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may your spirit work on each and every one of our hearts and help us to understand these truths that we're learning each and every night. Be with us. Be with our viewers. Bless them abundantly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all for me tonight, Rebecca. Back to you. Robbie, what a marvelous program. To think that we can be new now because Jesus lives in us. That is so exciting. Now, to get this evening's study guide, just go to hopeawakens.com.au and click on the free offer button. Well, that's it for tonight. We'll see you tomorrow night at the same time for our next Hope Awakens program titled Survival Keys for Challenging Times. Good night. God bless till tomorrow night.